Now I'm fascinated with the minor leagues because the Major League Baseball draft at that time, selected by the Kansas City Athletics, that's your journey. That's your path. That's not your choice. Not going number one, going number two, not going three or four. You could have went from the Mets to anywhere around the country, and you end up with the Kansas City Athletics. How did that have such an impact on the arc of your life? Life, not just as a baseball player with the selection to go to that organization at the time. Well, what I'll tell you about my draft is uh, in college I was dating a Mexican girl. And um, uh, Juanita Campos mm-hmm. and the Angels, the uh, Angels, I forget what you call it, but they were like the overview of of uh, alumni, um, Arizona, the Sun Devils, not Angels, the Sun Devils alumni, okay, mm-hmm. um, were talking to the football coach and baseball coach about me dating um, out of my race. And so my middle name is Martinez. I speak Spanish. And so... And I was, you know, in the process of dating this lady and a uh, young girl, and we were going to get married, et cetera. And Bobby Winkles, the coach, came to me, and he said, Reggie, you know, some of the alumni are complaining about you uh, dating a, uh, a Mexican girl. Uh, as a matter of fact, the guy's name is uh, Guerrero. And I said, well, you know, we're going to get married, so he's going to have to get used to that. And the baseball coach said, well, I can tell you that the Mets want to draft you number one. You're head and shoulders above anybody else, but they're not going to draft you because they think you'd be create social issues in New York. And I went like, well, you know, I can not know what to tell you. My middle name's Martinez, and we're going to get married, and that's that. So I was not drafted number one uh, by the Mets. Um they picked a guy named Steve Chilcott, who was a catcher mm-hmm. from Riverside, and he never really made it. I wish I would have met the guy. I never met Steve Chilcott. But um, I wound up going to the A's, and uh, it worked out pretty good. Absolutely. Reggie Jackson joins us. Reggie, back to the documentary. The Birmingham years really got to me in Birmingham, Alabama, and the conversations with your dad and the inability to go out at night with your teammates and where you lived and who your roommates were, and then the pressure to get out of the minor leagues to start a big league career. Looking back, how did you deal with the racial elements of that time in Birmingham, Alabama, with what was going on in society and focus on athletics? You know, I think my my dad was really important because we talked almost every day. Um... You know, my mom, I stayed in touch with her. My parents got divorced at a very young age, but I stayed close to both parents and uh, both parented me, if you will. Um, and I had an older brother, uh, Joe, uh, who's, who's still still alive and um, just a fantastically, fantastic guy, military guy, uh, very organized and was always trying to get me to make sure I did the right things and uh, was very influential in my baseball career at a young age because there was so much racism in the South. When I went to Birmingham, it was just a couple of years later. I was there in 67, and in 64, they had uh, um, murdered the four little girls in the church, black Mm. girls, and they never really even caught those guys because they were with the Klan up until, you know, like 2008, 9. Um, and this was back in 67. 
Um, you know, but I had really good support for the family. Um, I had great coach there named Johnny McNamara and the guys on the team, Duncan, Joe Rudy, Raleigh Fingers, uh, they were really important uh, in my career, a guy named George Lazarique. Um, also, Johnny McNamara, the manager, really took care of me. They wouldn't, uh, you know, we drove on the road and went to Montgomery and would go to Knoxville, Tennessee, and Macon, Georgia. Uh, they would have to go in first to see if they would take me and see if I could stay in the hotel. So we went to, to Knoxville, uh, the first trip trip we made. And uh, we went in to see if I could get in the hotel, to get into the hotel. And when I got in the lobby, the guy said, well, the n- can't stay here. And it just, you know, you just felt rotten and miserable inside. And uh, we went back out on the bus, and John McNamara uh, took the bus and said, we're going to find a hotel that Reggie can stay in or we'll sleep on the bus. And so we drove down the road, and guys would go inside uh, and, and, and see if I could go in. And, uh, I remember that Gil Blanco was a pitcher. He was about six, five left-hander and he was, he was Mexican, but he would go in and see if I could stay in a hotel. And if I could, uh, we'd get out. And if not, we would, uh, just keep going down until I found a, another place in the same way with food when we ate on the road, because the, the bus rides would be 14, 15 hours, sometimes 10 to 10 to 15 hours. And uh, if I couldn't eat in the in the on the on the road in the restaurant, it would the manager would get the food brought out, and we'd eat on the bus and keep moving. Incredible times. Uh, Reggie Jackson's our guest. Reggie, before you played for Charlie O'Finley, were you aware of him? Because I, I want to know when you're in the system and you're going through the minor leagues. When was the first time the name Charlie O'Finley became a name you were aware of, knowing the possibility? that when you were going to connect with him and he was going to be the owner of the athletics and you were going to hunt, have to play under his guidelines and especially the financial guidelines going forward? Uh, I never really paid attention to that. Um, I was a young kid, and um, if I could play in the major leagues, I was going to go to any major league team. I would just be honored uh, to get selected by a team. Um, I had never really heard much of Charlie Finley. Uh, in my youth, and I was, you know, 19 years old when I got drafted, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I was in high school and and uh, elementary school, you know, my favorite player was Willie Mays and Jackie Robinson and Duke Snyder, and, uh, Sandy Koufax. Those are the guys I rooted for and, um, you know, thought about, wanted to be like, et cetera. And so... Um, you know, I didn't really know much about Charlie Finley. I, I never really heard of him because we didn't really follow the American League when I was young because they didn't have they didn't have hardly any black players. Right. The black players first came to the National League, and so you followed Bernie Banks and Billy Williams and and uh, you know West Covington and and those guys. Um, you followed. Uh, Mays and Aaron and, and those guys, and it was just, you know, the way of the world. I didn't really think about the A's. I didn't know anything about them. When I got drafted by him, I was excited. And I met Charlie Finley, and he just seemed like a great guy to me. Um, you know, went to his house and ate uh, dinner, 
left, spent the night, got up, had breakfast, and, um, you know, signed the contract. And then I went to Birmingham, and I was like, whoa. Yeah. <laughs> we went to, uh, I went to the play in the rookie league in uh, Lewiston, Idaho. And uh, I was there for a couple of weeks. I remember going to uh, Yakima, uh, Yakima, Washington. And I hit three home runs in the game. And in the last two homers that I hit, it was snowing. It was June. Oh, my <laughs> June. <laughs> yeah, we were tri- a place called Tri-Cities. You know, and so we, we were there. And uh, then we went back to Lewiston, Idaho. I got hit in the head. Uh, in the game, and they took me to be uh, uh, examined in the emergency room, and they they would not allow me to be admitted to the hospital because I was colored. So the next day, Charlie Finley set a plane up with our pitching coach because um, he happened to be there at that time. Uh, he came up, and they, they took me out of Idaho, and I went down and started playing minor league baseball in Modesto, California. So let's fast forward to the big leagues when you found tremendous success with some of the greatest teammates and one of the greatest teams in baseball history still to this day, the Oakland Athletics and those memories that you still have today because money became an issue for all your teammates and the ability to make what you deserved and make what you deserved at the time. But when you look back at your life in those years, was it the best baseball times, considering all those great men and teammates and the winning and the fans playing in that weather in Oakland? When you look back on that, what jumps out at you at the Oakland years, especially the early years? Well, you know, you know, we, we had a great owner um, when it comes to understanding talent and picking players. You know, he didn't pay you. Um, and the biggest reason I thought we didn't get paid is because we didn't draw fans. You know, it was cold in the stadium there. There wasn't much going on. They didn't play music or anything like that. Um, you know, but and it seemed like the lights were so far and so high away from the field. They didn't sit right on top of the stadium. We always thought we had, you know, poor visibility there. But, um, you know, it was a place where people just didn't come out and watch the games, even when we were winning. We had a couple World Series games mm-hmm. that didn't sell out and things like that. So, um, you know, he got on the wrong side of Charlie Finley really quick because he didn't pay. Not Even if he'd have had the money, I guess he wouldn't pay either. But it was hard to judge him because we had the worst attendance in baseball, and we were the best team. So it, it was a little tough to, to – to, when you look back, JT, I think – you know, yeah, I could call Charlie Finley a cheapskate or whatever, but you got to realize that we didn't draw people in Oakland, and that was a real tragedy. Yeah, it was. Reggie Jackson's our guest. Before we get to Baltimore and the Yankee years, with all the racial undertones that were going on in the world at that time, and even before that, uh, can you talk about the relationship, at least with Ali, Jim Brown, Kareem, Bill Russell? What was going on in your life playing and starting to play at this level, knowing that some of those gentlemen at your time or before your time were still fighting for civil rights and were front and center and were some of the leaders that helped you and your mind evolve on all these topics? Well, certainly Kareem uh, and I were were just about the same age. Uh, I think he's 75 or Mm -hmm. 76. I might even be a year older than Kareem, or he's a year older than me, one or the other. 
the great Jim Brown was a guy that you looked up to as well because he had a focus on um, diversity way ahead of time. I call it he had a focus on dignity. Uh, And there were so many of the players that, for me, even when I was playing, um, you had to beg for dignity. And it was it was very difficult, and I could understand why guys had <clears throat> difficult attitudes, that they were tough, hard to talk to. Uh, the conversations with the media were rough because you were, you were never given the, the dignity of being a great player or being a thinker on the field. Uh, it always wound up them saying, oh, what, what a great, so much great talent this guy has. He's a tremendously talented player. They would very seldom ever say um, he's like a coach on the field. He's like a manager on the field. Um, you know, and so as a black man, you had to fight for that. You know, you know, give me dignity. Don't just talk about the great skills and my great ability. Talk about my mind and my mental toughness and the ability to uh, be a great leader um, it was very difficult in those times were for a black to be a catcher for a black to be a quarterback for a black to be a a, um, a pitcher mm-hmm. and and strangely you know when I start saying those kind of things it's like wow uh, kids and people really have never heard that but that's the way it was that there was very seldom did you see a black center in the National Football League. Right. So, you know, and, and let alone a black quarterback, that was a huge deal when Doug Williams and James Harris and those guys were playing quarterback. They didn't want Warren Moon to be a quarterback. And so there's some teams that he just refused to play for because they wouldn't give him an opportunity. So those things went on. Uh, JT, um, it's it's a lot of that stuff has been forgotten and just kind of kicked to the curb. A lot of the things that have gone and been seen in my documentary, so many people are saying, gosh, wow, did you really go through that? And I almost want to say, yeah, you son of a bug. <laughs> uh, yeah, I went through it. Um, did, 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 did you think I escaped it? Or did you, you're going to tell me that you really didn't know that went on in the 60s? Um, and so sometimes it, it's painful, but, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm proud of the documentary because it got out and, uh, I have close friends that have, have learned more about me and learned more about sports, more about the game, more about life. Um, and I really have my, 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 my parents, my dad, my brother, Joe, uh, my oldest sister, Dolores, you know, to help me understand and, and to get through those difficult times. And then some of the, the whites that helped me, like Rudy and Bando and Duncan and Fingers, and those guys are right there for me, Johnny McNamara, mm-hmm. and you know, a guy like Gene Michael with, with the Yankees, George Steinbrenner, um, helped me through a lot of those things. 